This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. Okay, and I want to welcome everybody to this episode of Make Your Pitch. And of course, in Make Your Pitch, as you know, we bring on some of the best and the brightest. We bring on entrepreneurs, we bring on investors, and we bring on experts to help out those companies that are getting rolling and uh, they're a new company. Uh, and we love all the people we have on because they have worked extremely hard to get to where they are. And if what you will hear is uh, someone that's along the way and has, has, has put some of those pieces together that you might still need to handle. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. And today we have a very special guest, Adam Solomon. And uh, before we get started, Ellen, why don't you tell us a little bit about Adam? I certainly will. Adam Salomon is an entrepreneur at heart. He spent his life thinking of ways to do a simple thing better to make a real impact in, the, in people's lives. He is the CEO and founder of Prussian LLC, Prussian's patented non-invasive smart compression platform the wave increases circulation body-wide and improves cardiac cardiac function welcome adam absolutely we're glad to have you on board adam the ball is now in your court take it away Thank you so much, Christopher and Ellen, for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell everyone about Prussian and about the journey and how we got here. Thank you. No, it, it's our pleasure, absolutely. So we, we want to know more. <laughs> absolutely. Well, so maybe I'll tell you a little bit about the history behind Prussian and how, and how we got here and tell you a little bit about our first product, The Waves. Does that sound good? That sounds like a great place to start. Wonderful. So the technology behind Prussian actually started out as a military technology. It was something that was intended to help women and men in uniform with their endurance challenges. You know, we have um, members of our military are expected to maintain readiness to protect themselves at any point in time when they're deployed. And they often are carrying heavy loads on their backs. And we were trying to figure out how do we improve their ability to maintain readiness without getting tired as, as quickly. And our body has a physiological effect called the skeletal muscle pump. It's our calf muscles. Every time we take a step when we're walking, our calf helps our heart circulate our blood. Uh, every time your calf squeezes, it pushes blood back up towards your heart 
there's a series of these one-way valves that keep blood from coming back down the wrong direction. And our insight was, well, what if we squeeze the calf muscle to act like a second skeletal muscle pump? Can we help the body perform even better? And what we ultimately discovered was that by applying this compression in the way that we do, not only do we help the heart a little bit in terms of pumping power, we actually increase circulation throughout the body. And we initially, uh, I bought the technology from, from uh, the company that was originally developed at in 2018. And we focused instead of military performance on athletic performance. We were having some great results uh, with those folks. And we were getting ready to do our last pilot study in March of 2020. And I'm sure everyone knows uh, the next part of this story, uh, COVID shut down all of the athletics programs and, and we had to stop. But we had always wanted and intended to get into medical applications with our technology. Because what we discovered, like I mentioned, was the circulation enhancement approach. And it's really the impact of that circulation varies based on the person who's using it. For an athlete, the impact of that increased circulation is oxygen delivery to power performance. But for a patient, say a heart failure patient, that additional circulation is supplementary pumping power for their weakened heart. And so we uh, decided to pivot in light of COVID into medical applications. We'll come back to athletics maybe at some point in the future, but for now we're focused on heart failure. And to our system, just to describe it to you, if you can envision it, it consists of a pair of sleeves that go on each of your calves. And we inflate, each of these sleeves has five chambers in it, going from your ankle up towards your knee, wrapping around your leg. And we inflate those five chambers from your ankle up to your knee in the narrow window between heartbeats. So we push blood back up towards your heart and the way that your body reacts to it is it thinks it's doing low intensity cardio exercises. And so your heart rate goes up slightly, your body vasodilates, and this is how we get this systemic circulation enhancement. And we're, as I mentioned, we, we, we recently made a pivot to medical applications and we're just getting rolling uh, after successfully closing the seed round. So what are you doing with the, what are you doing with it now? Uh, it seems to me like this system is all there, but you know, where are you headed with this thing? Literally. Absolutely. And it's, it's the process to bring a medical device to market is quite a bit different than bringing a consumer sports device to market. So we are in a very heavily regulated space now. <laughs> and so we're, we're focusing on the next six months is all about de-risking our technology and our, our path to market. And, and it's really a three-legged stool or three-legged approach to doing that. One is around the technology. So we have hardware that I designed and, and built for athletic applications, advanced prototypes, if you will. Those aren't good enough for medical applications. They won't pass safety rigor. They won't pass um, uh, compliance requirements for, for, for testing with patients. And so we're working first to de-risk the hardware, right? Get it to the point where it can pass UL certifications. Um, we know that the system, if, if something does fail, the system fails safe. Uh, we know that we can produce a limited number of the systems and they're repeatable and they're identical each time. So that's, that's the first leg. The second is regulatory. We have to pick what is the specific clinical indication 
that we are focusing on that we are going to go to the FDA and say, this is what our system helps with. This is how it works. And so that, that's the second part of it because there's, there's a wide array, like I mentioned, at our core, we increase circulation. And there's a lot of applications for increasing circulation for patients, whether that's kidney disease, diabetes, heart failure, where we're focusing, um, or, or a number of other things. And so we're, we're narrowing in on exactly what that indication is um, so that we can figure out what a regulatory path is and what the clinical trials look like. And then the third is we've got to prove that it works. And so we have to do testing with patients. And so we're working now to define what does the clinical protocol look like? How do we show that it's safe? How do we select the patients to do that and start that safety and ethics review process so that in our next round, we can start doing those clinical studies. What, uh, how long do you think it'll take to do the clinical trials? What's, I can know they can be a very involved process. They can be very involved. We, we are taking, um, a, I suppose, a, a multi-hop path towards uh, the different markets that we want to go to. There's, with the FDA, there's a process you can go through called a 510K, which you basically say to the FDA, we are substantially similar to a device that you have already approved <laughs> and is already on the market. So there's no reason for us to have to do a full clinical trial. We should just have to prove we're equivalent. And so that's where we're starting. We're going to start down that path of there's some systems that are pretty similar to us that uh, we will show equivalence to so that we can have a product on market. And then in parallel to that, we'll go down uh, a full clinical trial for what's called a class three device, which is sort of the, the riskier devices. And this is, this is everything from pharmaceuticals to implants to devices like ours, which are non-invasive, but actually have direct impacts on, on the way the body works. And we'll, we'll do that second um, and in parallel with, with the 510K. We don't know what that looks like yet. That's a big part of this de-risking that we're doing right now is how many patients do we have to test? What are the endpoints? And how long is it going to take for us to get all that data? But do you have anybody on your team that um, is familiar with the FDA regulations that you're working with? You know, I, I was given some advice when I started off on this entrepreneurial journey, they said, there's two things that you have to do as the founder of the company. Said, okay, that's great. I can handle two things. I said, one, never run out of money. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't sound so easy, but I get it. Uh, and the second was find people who are smarter than you are and put them to work, right? And so I have been so fortunate that I have been growing this wonderful team of people that support me. Um, it was when when we started raising this round, it was me and one other part-time person, call it one and a half people, to today, the number of part-time people that are supporting Prussian is now 20. And so we have, uh, we had to find someone who was an expert in regulatory because I, I don't know the difference between a 510K, a 401K, or any of these things. Like, I don't know what the difference between these things are. Yeah. And so finding the right people to, to help us down that path was <clears throat> my first test. Yeah, I know that the, uh, in the FDA side, I've, I've had uh, friends in the past who actually did that as consultants and uh, were able to take a company all the way from the beginning, all the way through uh, to approval on the FDA. 
Uh, they were more on the uh, pharmaceutical drug side, though. But it, the same same process for any kind of device that goes in there. Uh, that being said, then, as, as far as who's in your team, give, give us, uh, you don't have to name all 20, but give us the key players. Sure. So the first, the person who joined me first, he, he joined the team in December of last year, formally, I suppose, in January. His name's Todd. Todd joined as our VP of operations. And Todd came to us. He's really the one who, who, who jump-started everything. Todd was the head of operations for another medical device startup which was acquired by Teleflex a couple of years ago. And Todd was responsible basically for doing exactly what he's doing for me, which is taking an idea, figuring out the regulatory roadmap, figuring out manufacturing, figuring out clinical trials and getting it to market. And so he, he was the, the first and, and most critical hire that I made. Uh, and then we have since, since with, with Todd's uh, introductions and Todd's research, we we now have. Let's see. I'll just I'll just name off the, the types of groups we have. We have an industrial design group who's doing the design and manufacturing of the system itself. So the primary compression system, the electronics, the software, all the safety features that are built into it. We have a quality management systems group. So with, with a medical device, you've got to have documentation with how you handle everything, how you reduce risk, how you build things, how you make sure every system is exactly the same. And so we, we brought in a group for that. We have a, a product safety group that we brought in because when, now when you're talking about medical devices, you know, there is, there is no, there's no wiggle room for your device having a place where someone could accidentally stick their finger and get shocked or have a part that gets warm that's on the outside that could get too warm that they could touch and those sorts of things and they help us think through during the design phase how do we make sure we're, we're approaching those things and then we have a regulatory firm who knows how to get through all of the regulatory procedures and processes and everything that's required and on that front we also brought in a internal head of regulatory uh, her name is julie she has 25 years of regulatory experience across a wide swath of different products, but particularly in cardiology devices, which is uh, really exciting for us. And I, I, that would be remiss, and it's probably taking us uh, one of your back to the beginning. Uh, but I would be remiss not to ask where this idea came from. Oh, well, so the, uh, the idea... Uh, like I mentioned, came out of a military application. Uh, so I, I was at the time, I was working at Lockheed Martin. I was the deputy chief scientist of the company. And we had a specific research focus at the time on, we called it highly portable power. And think about this in terms of uh, everything but batteries. You know, a company, a company like Lockheed Martin is never going to sell AA batteries. <laughs> it's, not, it's not in their business model. Um, but so think of everything else, and, but don't, don't necessarily think about it as <coughs> portable power in terms of powering a cell phone or powering a gadget. We thought about it in terms of how do you power people? How do you power the human body? And that's, that's really where this idea came from. Of, you know, how do we improve the power that a human body can generate without adding weight? 
right? Because there's, there's one of the ways you can power the body is calories, right? That's our primary source of energy. But if you are deployed somewhere, the only calories you have available are the calories you're carrying. So how much additional workload are you creating by making them carry more? How much additional workload, uh, how much of additional of a uh, resource tail is there to get those calories to those people in the field? And so it was really, how do we, how do we create power out of nothing? And, and the, the idea, and this, this is actually what, what's in our first patent that was issued is we said, well, look, these people are carrying a lot of weight and they're walking. Can we do something about that? Can we use that somehow? And what we designed and what, what Prussian will get to eventually is the system where your walking powers the system. The sheer fact that you are taking steps and compressing the sole of your shoe, we can harvest some of that compression and use that to power our system. And that's, that's sort of the genesis story about where we came from. And, and I'm surprised you don't have a uh, solar unit sitting on top of the, uh, of the hat or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It'd be an interesting looking hat, wouldn't it? That's for sure. Uh, so you're at, uh, we've discussed this before, but just to, again, open it up for investors that, that are maybe on is uh, you were in Lockheed. The idea came from Lockheed, but then you left Lockheed and took the project. So is Lockheed going to come after you and lock you up or what are they going to do? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, they are not. I, I, um, we, we agreed to purchase the technology from Lockheed uh, when we, when uh, in 2018 was, was when we, we made the purchase. And, you know, Lockheed does a lot of amazing research, right? On just developing the future of technology in a lot of ways. And sometimes those technologies bear fruit and turn into major programs. Sometimes they bear fruit, but they're not in Lockheed's core business space. And this happens to be one of the latter cases where it was seen as really valuable, but it's not, you know, Lockheed, Lockheed likes to make big <clears throat> complex systems like jets and ships and satellites and yeah. systems like these down to the individual uh, user level aren't exactly in line with, with the way that they do business. And it was a really, um, good opportunity for Lockheed. It was a good opportunity for me and for Prussian to uh, sell the technology to Prussian. Lockheed and, and Prussian still have an ongoing uh, relationship. We're always looking for ways to work together. But at the end of the day, we're, we're now two separate entities. Uh, once we finished paying off our purchase agreement with them, we own the tech and, and we'll, we'll keep going off on our lonesome. Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors, and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, 
go to the show notes of this episode. You are uh, you're focused on the medical now, and you also uh, started out looking at the uh, the sports industry and so forth. But let's say, for example, I know you're working on battery operated. For right now, it just plugs in. Am I right? Uh, That's right. The current system, you've got to be a, right next to a power outlet. Okay. And so in, in the design that's coming up, I'm sure uh, as somebody crawls into their wheelchair, they're going to be able to have a system that will uh, uh, suffice uh, for their purposes in the future. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the beauty of this system that we're designing today, uh, as you mentioned, today the system requires us to be plugged into a wall. And it's a pair of sleeves that you wear, and there's some tubing that comes off of it that plugs into a box. And the box controls the inflation and, and everything of the sleeves. Mm -hmm. But the next generation of this that we have working in the lab is a version where you put this on in the morning and you go about your day. And it would power, it would be powered by a battery. It would support your, let's say, uh, for a heart failure patient, which is where we're focusing now. One of the limitations heart failure patients have because their heart is weakened, their capacity for physical activity is greatly reduced. Mm -hmm. And things that we would take it, uh, maybe take for granted, such as going grocery shopping, is too much physical activity for someone with, with more advanced heart failure because their heart can't keep up with the pumping power. And our vision is with this version of the system that you put on in the morning, is it's enough of an assist that you could get back to doing those, those, what we would consider routine things. Go to the grocery store, take your dog for a walk around the block. All those sort of basic parts of, of everyday life without having to worry about having a system that you need to lug around with you or some heavy contraption or some device you have to fiddle with. We want it to be invisible to the user that they put it on and it, it gives them the support everywhere that they go. And um, our thought is that by keeping these heart failure patients more physically active and what we've seen from, from the science and the literature is that they could slow the progression of their disease. Maybe even in some cases, stop the progression of their, that I, I, sh I, should, I should back up on that. Heart failure is a chronic condition. You, patients do not recover from it, but you can, you can certainly slow the progression of it or you can alleviate some of the symptoms that you're feeling from it. One of the worst side effects of heart failure is fluid retention. And your heart's not strong enough to keep your blood pumping. And so uh, it, you don't pass the blood through your kidneys, so you can't excrete it. So heart failure patients tend to have really swollen legs and they're painful. And it's a lot of extra weight to move around when they're trying to walk. And so if we can keep ahead of that fluid retention, one, by pumping power from us, but two, by keeping them physically active, their quality of life is so much better, right? They don't have these painful swollen legs. They can get up and move around. They can stay physically active, which we know slows down the progression of heart failure. I, I think it's a, a tremendous uh, idea, of course, but what's the growth potential? You know, where, where are we... Uh... Again, as an investor, what can I expect, uh, you know, in, over, over the next five to 10 years, for example, or do you have an exit plan in the future? What, what are your goals there? Well, it, that's, a, that's a great question. And it's, it's one of those uh, situations where I am 
doing my best to stay laser focused on one market right now because we can't be distracted and uh, wander off into, into multiple directions. But of course, we need to know where those spaces are that we could potentially get into. So heart failure, for example, there's six and a half million Americans with heart failure. The number prior to COVID-19, the number one cause of hospitalization in this country is heart failure exacerbation. There are 1 million heart failure exacerbation hospitalizations a year just in the US. They're on average about three days and $25,000 to Medicare each time they occur. Right. It's a major driver of healthcare costs in this country. Uh, and it's a huge population of, of patients. As I mentioned, you know, heart failure is chronic. This is not a condition that these patients will recover from. And so you know, we view it as all six and a half million of those folks are potential users of our system that we can help in their treatment of the, of the condition, the disease that they have. Uh, but outside of heart failure, there are other applications we're looking at. So there's peripheral arterial disease. There's 8 million people in the U.S. who have peripheral arterial disease. Uh, kidney disease. Uh, I can't recall the number off the top of my head, but uh, one, of, one of the limitations with patients who are on dialysis is their blood pressure can't keep up with the dialysis treatment. We've shown our system can, can help sustain blood pressure levels. One of the areas that I'm really excited about getting into also is um, geriatric care. So in, in the U.S., as we age, our, or it's not just in the U.S., as we age in general, um, the, uh, our body's ability to withstand changes in blood pressure drops, particularly from position. And we've all experienced this. If you stand up too fast, sometimes you see stars. Sometimes uh, if you stand up really too fast, maybe you feel a little bit lightheaded. There's something called orthostatic intolerance. We all have it. It just gets worse as we age. Um, and one of the leading causes of falls in seniors in the US is orthostatic intolerance. You stand up too fast, you get lightheaded and you pass out or you fall down. And so we've tested our system to show that we stop that drop in blood pressure with geriatric users. And, but we've got to have a device like the one I mentioned for heart failure patients to wear all day. It's got to be something that you don't have to think about while I'm about to go get up from my chair to go walk into the kitchen. It's got to be there and it's got to work all the time. And so I'm really excited about that as an additional space right. for us to get into. And now you're talking about, uh, you know, 20 million people. Oh yeah, uh, it, it uh, keeps uh, growing and growing. I, I know. What, what's it, what do you think the valuation of the company will be though? And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just going to use a five-year period uh, and you've got trials. You don't know how long the trial is going to last necessarily. So it's a little hard to pinpoint that in, in your particular case, but any um, any projections? Well, you know, even even if we just look at heart failure, and we just if we just say the only thing we're going to do is treat heart failure patients when they're in the hospital, there's a million hospitalizations a year. If we let's I'm just making up a number here. If we make a hundred dollars helping treat a patient every time they are hospitalized for a heart failure exacerbation. That's $100 million in recurring annual revenue just for one indication. Right. Now you start getting into these other things like kidney disease and diabetes, peripheral arterial disease, and that number just starts to grow. And you know, we, we see just on the heart failure side, the potential for 
over a billion dollars in annual revenue for, for treating heart failure. And you know, I, I, I think to, to your earlier question about you know, how are we gonna grow and what's our exit strategy? I, if you look across the landscape, there's not a whole lot of small medical device manufacturers. And that, that is perhaps a, uh, an effect of the design and the functioning of our medical system. <laughs> yeah. It's complicated to sell a medical device because you have to sell it to every hospital or medical system or clinic that you want to get it into. Mm-hmm. And so often companies like ours would be acquired fairly early by a bigger player. Think of a Medtronic or a Teleflex or an Abbott you know, sort, of, sort of company. And that, that's really where I see this going, is that we would probably get taken over by, by a larger company. And I, I see an interesting couple of different paths through exit. One could be, you know, someone may, may see the value in this across all the different clinical indications and want them all and buy the company outright. Or perhaps they say, you know what, we are heavily focused in the cardiac space. We're not interested in diabetics. Right. Um, so we want exclusive rights to this technology in cardiology applications, and we will pay you X upfront and X as a as a uh, royalty on that. Right. And then we can do the same and go talk to another company who does care about diabetes and is interested in, in licensing diabetes. All right. Now, now let's uh, let's find out what we're after here right now. Before we close out, let's get to the the very most important part, and that is. How about, uh, what's the funding that's needed right now to move you to the next level? That's my number one job. It's never run out of money. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So we, we are currently raising our pre-seed round. And we have been very fortunate to have a number of lead-off investors who have really gotten that rolling. We originally set out to raise $500,000 on a convertible note. And we found ourselves in an oversubscribed situation where we had more interest in the rounds than we anticipated and we've since expanded it. And we're now looking to close at 750,000. And so there's still, there's still some space in the round. We're still interested in and in actively talking to investors to help push us that much further before we get in to do our de-risking before we go into our seed rounds, which, which will be focused on our clinical trial. And it's, you really are on track right now. That's, uh, as we talked earlier, I was, I was very pleased to hear that you've really, really come up a long way in your initial seed round uh, uh, exped- expedition, shall we call it, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. But yet the expansion, I'm sure, will come quickly after because other people understand the, uh, the importance of this particular type of item for anyone. Ellen, would, uh, would you like to chime in? I would indeed. Um, I'm impressed by what Adam has presented. My question to you is, I heard the question, but I didn't hear the answer. What is your ask for investment? Thank you, thank you, I should clarify. So we're, we're currently raising up to 750K, uh, so that there's uh, about 200-ish left of, of, the, of the, that round. On a convertible note, it's an 8% convertible note with a 25% discount. Okay, that's important. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, yeah. We, we are, uh, I think we priced this round, uh, oh, I should say that's at a $5 million valuation cap. 
Um, we, we price this round, uh, I would like to say aggressively and competitively because we want to reduce the barriers. We know we're early. We know there's a lot of risk. We wanted to reduce the barriers to investors being willing to come in this round and this early on a device like ours. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, um, I should have a boatload of questions, but I don't because you've been very thorough in your presentation and I can see it visually in my mind's eye. So uh, you've done a good job in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Adam, Nell and I both want to thank you for being on. Is there anything you'd like to say to, to the uh, audience of uh, either people that are starting up a business or investors are listening? Anything you'd like to like to say before we close? Oh, let me see. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll share a bit of advice that I was given not too long ago when things were looking a little bit grim in light of COVID and uh, prospects for the company. I, I was given the advice by one of my mentors. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get from here to the finish line. And he said to me, you know what, Adam? Your job is to know where the finish line is and to take the next step. You're not going to leap the Grand Canyon. You've just got to get to the next step and then to the next one and then to the next one. And you'll find yourself there. And that was such a relief for me to think of, you know what? He's right. If you don't focus on the things that you've got to do today, it doesn't matter where the finish line is, because if you don't start walking, you're never going to get there. And so this is this is the hardest job I have ever had. It is the most sleepless nights I've ever had from anything, including both of my kids, uh, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's, it's doing things like, like this, coming on here and talking to you, Ellen and Christopher, and hearing from other entrepreneurs that you're not alone going through these things. And it's tough. And you figure yeah. it out and you talk to great, wonderful, friendly people who want to help you get there. And uh, it's just been it's been amazing. I'm so happy that we're, we're, we're on this journey. Yeah, Indeed. Tremendous advice, uh, Adam. Absolutely. And it, and it's all true <laughs> for anyone who's uh, <laughs> taken those steps. It's all very, very true. Uh, so at this point in time, I want to thank everyone for being a part of make your pitch and all the audience. Remember that we're on every Thursday on all of your most popular podcast platforms so you can uh, very shortly um, uh, rail up some other people on your podcast to hear how things are done and how they should be done with great advice from entrepreneurs but what we always say is make your pitch and we'll see you next thursday if you enjoyed today's episode of make your pitch Go smash the subscription button, and if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch.